What's going on, Cryptoland? My name is Phil. This is the Fun with Crypto podcast. We are in season two, and this is episode 27. Well, hope everybody's having a good week. Beautiful weather out there. I hope everyone's enjoying the summer, um, depending on where you are in the world and where you're listening from. Um, so I just finished a really great interview, and that's what we're going to be uh, we're going to be listening to today is the uh, a really cool interview with Stefan Lavera. Um, I, I just you know he interviews you know the the Bitcoiners that everyone wants to talk to. Like he really truly gets, I find the best, the absolute best guests. I mean, I, I think the you know you, you maybe have like Tales from the Crypt that is equivalent in getting the the type of talent um, that he gets. And it's just absolutely amazing, and he gets them to share their, you know, their the thoughts on their tech and everything like that. And he really manages to pull out incredible information. Um, I I've been listening to him since I got into Bitcoin, and he is absolutely his podcast is one of my main go tos, and I recommend it to anybody. I recommend it to noobs, and I recommend it to advanced. Uh, Bitcoiners alike. I think to noobs, though, it might be a little difficult depending on which which guests he's he's interviewing because you know some of them are extremely technical and really really pull you down the rabbit hole of the Bitcoin tech. But then others are you know a little bit more lighthearted and uh, you know a little bit more on the uh, the philosophical on the philosophical side and uh, you know kind of resonate with with more folks. Anyways, either way, he's got something for everyone. I am super happy that he chose to give me his time to sit down and talk with me. So without further ado, here is my discussion with Stefan Lavera. All right, everybody. I've got a very special guest with me tonight. Um, he's taken the time to join me out of his very busy schedule. He interviews possibly some of the best people in the Bitcoin space, if not the best people in the Bitcoin space. And I've been listening to his podcast since I got into this. And I, I just, I, I never stop and I learned so much from them. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Stefan Levera. Stefan, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Coin Icarus, thanks for inviting me on the show. Uh, it's, it's really amazing to have you here. And I feel that you, you know, you always give everybody, you know, the, the chance to give their story and to tell everybody, you know, like that, you know, how they tumble down the rabbit hole. And I think I, I really do think that everybody wants to know, like, you know, how Stefan Levera became Stefan. So if uh, <laughs> if you'll tell everybody, uh, how did you tumble down the rabbit hole? And, you know, even before that, like, uh, how do you how did you get here? Sure. Well. Look, I actually probably got to go back to the te my teenage years, right? So I would hang out on IRC and I went on this Oz Politics channel. And at that point, I was just, you know, obviously like a normal kid. I didn't really have any strong political views. But there was this guy who kept linking to Mises.org daily articles. And slowly but surely, over the course of a few years, I then started to learn more about Austrian economics. Right. So at that time, as a kid, I didn't necessarily have the patience to go and read like human action and stuff. But I slowly but surely picked up little pieces of Austrian knowledge from reading some of these articles. And then later, as I grew into it and I you know, studied economics more at, you know, did it at high school, then did it at uni. That was when I started to get into more actually reading like the proper books. And so I think that was some useful context for me because this is an interesting thing as well amongst our Bitcoin community. There, 
was an interesting poll recently, and you might have seen it by Brady, the Citizen Bitcoin guy. Oh, yeah. He was asking how many of you found Austrian economics before Bitcoin versus afterwards. And actually, the result was counterintuitive. It was actually 33% knew of Austrian economics before Bitcoin and only and two-thirds afterwards. So obviously, I, I'm part of that 33%, but I think that was one angle that helped me perceive Bitcoin in a certain way that in my view and in the kind of what I'm going to term the Bitcoin Austrian view is a more accurate way to perceive Bitcoin. And so that was kind of going into it. I was always more of a free market guy and I was more skeptical about obviously government control of money, central banking, the lender of last resort function, fractional reserve banking, you know, deposit guarantee laws, implicit and explicit bailout guarantees, capital gains tax laws, you know, taxation in general. Like I was already, you know, more of a libertarian, right? And so then so then it gets to kind of like the first time I would have heard of Bitcoin probably would have been I, I can't remember exactly, but it probably would have been like a slash dot article, but it might have been one of those things where it sort of sort of came across my radar, but I didn't really go into it right and this is like probably 2012 maybe early 2012 i don't know exactly when that slash dot piece was but i think that was a common piece for a lot of people that slash dot um mention uh then after that i you know because i just thought oh whatever it's probably a scam what I, I don't really know too much about this thing i didn't understand the actual implications of it because i didn't read into it so then the other thing like my you know come to bitcoin moment was actually I was on a family holiday with my family. We were back in Sri Lanka. And in Sri Lanka, the roads are pretty poor. So it takes a long time to get anywhere. And so you're just sitting in the car. And I was, you know, we were sitting in the car, like we had the driver. And I was just sitting in the back, just reading on my phone, reading random articles. And I stumbled across Eric Voorhees' article. And it was, I can't remember the exact title, but it was something like a libertarian introduction to Bitcoin, right? And this is December 2012. Right, so I remember, nice. and at, like I just remember, and this is one of those kind of really long articles, but it's like it really spells out a lot of things, like because Eric Voorhees was really spelling out, okay, here's what it might do to central banks, and here's what it, here's what the promise is. So from that moment on, I've just been obsessed about trying to learn more about Bitcoin, and so for me, that I sort of quickly went down that rabbit hole and. Then for me, in those kind of earlier years, my first few years in, you know, having, you know, being interested in Bitcoin, I learned a lot and, you know, interacted a lot with guys like, you know, Pierre Richard and Michael Goldstein back in those days because it was, it was a lot smaller then. And obviously I was online and just here, in, I'm here in Sydney, Australia. I never really became part of the overall scene. I was more just like a hodler. And I, I wrote a couple articles back then as well. Um, but yeah, so then essentially I kind of became friends with those guys and got to know some of them and thought more of it and used, because I have a similar perspective to those guys as well. So that was where we kind of connected very quickly at that point. And so, you know, we were all sort of anti-fractional reserve banking, pro-free market money, pro-Austrian, pro-Mises, Rothbard, those guys. And so that was essentially where my kind of Bitcoin knowledge came from. Uh, but then, yeah, there were a lot of different resources along the way, right? Obviously, guys like Trace Mayer, Tour de Mista, um, back in the early days, Conrad Graf as well. 
Um, there was another guy, Peter Serta. He wrote an interesting thesis back in 2012. His master's thesis was about sort of classification of Bitcoin from an Austrian point of view. Uh, so essentially, that was my kind of intro to Bitcoin. That is absolutely incredible. So I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, I kind of figured that you came from the uh, the Austrian background. Um, but let me ask you this, okay? Did uh, did they uh, did your schooling system or anything ever teach you about Austrian economics or? Was it like, oh, definitely because, not? Okay, so so it it really is like I, I mean I'm noticing obviously that it, it's not just in obviously North America because I I'm originally from Canada and um, that that type of I mean so when I was when I was a teenager growing up and um, I, I grew up like listening to a lot of punk and stuff like that and you know like just not you know obviously. Um, thinking things that were not, you know, like not in line like everybody else and, you know, delving down that similar type of path where like realizing that, hey, wait a second, you know, none of this is, none of this is actually real. And, you know, they're just whittling away all of our, all of our worth. So, um, you know, to, to your point, but I, I never actually knew it as Austrian, Austrian economics. I never even knew about Mises. I, I didn't know about all these amazing writings. So um, it, it's like a, a lot of us, like, you know, it, it at least it, it seems that it's almost like a fringe group that, you know, that, that it starts out as. And now because of Bitcoin, that group has grown or that group has now gotten to meet. Like we- Somewhat. I, I would say there's not... Like within the kind of mainstream Austrian community, like not, not mainstream, but like within the kind of, you know, Mises like groups, a lot of, there is still some division there, right? So there are obviously some like Peter Schiff and so on who come from a more gold view, right? Yes. But I would say ma- many of them are open to the idea of Bitcoin. It's just that they perceive it more like, look, it's not for us to decide what the, you know, what the market says. The market is what decides what is money. And so while the sort of kind of quint and in fairness, right? Some of those guys at Mises and Mises Institute, they've got a rep, they've got like a multi-decade reputation to uphold. They kind of sort of be like, yeah, we're all about Bitcoin now. Right. I I, I don't, I don't blame them for that, Um, but I think they are, they are, Many of them are slowly sort of coming around to that idea that actually there are some things about Bitcoin that may help clarify the understanding and kind of force us to rethink exactly what it is about money that makes it money or makes it a better money. And so that's some of this discussion. And so I think we are slowly sort of like I, I'm to some extent, my podcast is kind of like an in-between, like I'm sort of in between to try and sort of in some sense, Bitcoiners coming are coming to my podcast because they want to learn some Austrian economics at the same time. And so I think that's part of why my podcast has a sort of unique voice in some sense, because it's like, that's kind of one of the things it's known for. Um, but that's it. Obviously there's others, right. You know, like noted with, um, you know, Michael and Pierre, obviously, and they, they come from a similar background as well. So, yeah, so I would suggest in terms of why, you know, Austrian economics is ta- not taught at school and so on. I think that's really, it's not like some deep, dark conspiracy for me. No. The way I think of it is more like, it's just the way this, the incentives of the system kind of drove it, right? So right now, 
a lot of the economics jobs are funded by central banks. Who is who at a central bank is going to sort of bite the hand that feeds? Or it's sort of a self-selection process where if you're very strongly Austrian anti-central bank, are you likely to get a job at a central bank or do research at a central bank? Probably not. So that's one factor. And also consider universities as well. Like they are very much a leftist biased sort of institution or becoming more and more that way nowadays. And you look at some of the statistics, especially in certain areas, certain fields like psychology and so on. I think uh, Jonathan Haidt has done some research on topics like that, talking about, okay, where would they peg themselves? Where would they say, okay, am I, am I more like a left-wing person or am I more of a conservative or, you know, where am I on that spectrum? And yeah, so that's a big part of it as well. So that's actually one approach that I like about the Mises Institute is that they're doing an end run, right? They're doing an end run around the traditional sort of schooling and university systems. And because there are so many sort of propaganda vehicles in society, whether that's Hollywood, whether that's universities, and many of them are driving this sort of progressive leftist interventionist view of the world. And even that said, like there are, you know, from a libertarian point of view, there are flaws that we would point out even in the conservative view that conservatives are just kind of like a different form of interventionist. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different things going into that. But essentially, that's part of why I think podcasting is a good way to do that end run is to kind of get around the traditional media who are not necessarily presenting a good view or an accurate view of Bitcoin. And so this is, a, I view it like a very quick way to quickly spread, spread more accurate views and to do interviews from the perspective of a, of a proper Bitcoiner. Whereas, you know, if you see like on like those more mainstream TV channels or uh, blogs such as New York Times and whatever, that the perspective they're coming from is very different. And so that was to some extent why I started my own podcast. I I mean, obviously, I, I absolutely love it. And uh, of course, I, I, I believe and I know that many other believe, you know, people believe this. It, it is, you know, it's it is the Bitcoiners podcast. So like the people that actually, you know, it's like the, you know, from your information, other information is created, you know, like, you know, pe pe <laughs> it's a, it, it is to a certain extent, a, a source, you know, and it helps people tumble down the rabbit hole. I, I think in, in the right direction, because there are so many, so much caveat and so much, you know, just very, very difficult. So, um, I mean, look, since you come from an Austrian economics type of background, um, I, I have to assume that you, you must have been a gold bug at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I definitely was, I was interested in gold. And here's the thing, that we have to be careful with some of the doomsayer predictions. Because, again, while I fundamentally think gold, you know, is better than, obviously, fiat money, yes. we have to be... <laughs> wary that people are still always talking their own book right and that's you get people like peter schiff who are very doxastically closed to the idea of bitcoin yes even though theoretically you would think as an austrian and being skeptical of central banking he should be one of the first few people to really understand the value of bitcoin but unfortunately he 
to some extent is closed off. And the way I perceive his public appearances and debates on Bitcoin is he's sort of doing some of this stuff to kind of drive up marketing and attention and clicks oh, yeah. and sell gold, right? So it's a bit unfortunate because he could really take an even more long-term view and actually try to become more of a Bitcoin guy or do like Bitcoin and gold, right? Like he, no one would really fault him for trying to be a Bitcoin and gold guy. And yet he tries to be more of a gold, not Bitcoin guy. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a bit, uh, yeah. But uh, look, I think it'll take time. It's ultimately uh, people, you have to look at the new generation and what the new generation are going to be doing because the younger ones are the ones who are, who we sort of need to get to. And uh, I'm, I, I'm hopeful that with time, we will see continued adoption. And I think that's really what we will see because, again, my view is that it's not about people going into... And so this is like another thing as well. So some people kind of mischaracterize Bitcoin and money as like a shared fiction or, you know, in my view, it's not that. Actually, it's more like there are certain specific characteristics about Bitcoin that make it better, right? So it's not arbitrary, right? It, it is subjective, right? We subjectively yeah. perceive what is the best money, but it's not arbitrary. And I think that's a key thing. Whereas the way like some of the shit coiners and no coiner types will portray it is they'll say, oh, it's just a tribe, right? My tribe is bigger than your tribe. You guys are just part of your little Bitcoin tribe and, you know, whatever. <laughs> you guys can do your little thing, but that won't be important to the real, you know, the, the grown-ups at the table and whatever, right? But ultimately, that's, that, that is the view of Bitcoin monetary maximalism, which is that there is that convergence towards the one best money. And Bitcoin is, the, of all the cryptocurrencies, is the only one with a real chance right now to be that thing. And now, yes, there's a chance we're wrong. There's a chance that this whole thing fails. But it, it, it's like another whole level to even start talking about shit coins, right? To think that one of them could somehow, you know, that we would somehow live under a shit coin standard instead of a Bitcoin standard, right? So, so that's essentially my view there. I, 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 have to, I have to ask you, of course, because, you know, uh, I mean, at least for me anyways, I, I've said it multiple times, you know, when I first got into Bitcoin, I, I, I came for the Bitcoin and then I found shit coins. And I didn't, <laughs> I, I, and at this time, just so you know, I wasn't listening to you yet. So I, I, I had no guide. I, I didn't even know that podcasts about Bitcoin existed. And all I had was horrible Facebook and, and Reddit. And it was it was brutal. So I got to ask you, did did you ever did you ever shitcoin or did you ever think about it? <laughs> Not even once. Now, okay, I you're better than I appreciate than me. that. Not everyone has that kind of um, stance, right? I think there are very few, even amongst the maximalists, right? Many of the Bitcoin, many of today's Bitcoin maximalists were once shitcoined or in the past did shitcoining. <laughs> right now obviously in this case i'm not counting things like forks right because obviously you were given that you Whoa. didn't have a choice in that right but i'm talking about like real shit you, coining <laughs> in terms of in terms of actually going and buying yeah. a shit coin no never ever bought a shit coin <laughs> um now for me and i think similarly guys like michael goldstein or bitstein for us we just never saw the value back then the shit coins were like litecoin and namecoin and so on and I just never saw the value in those things. I just never thought, 
I was always skeptical of those things. And then over time, my thoughts developed further and, you know, Safe Dean's book came out and we came out with more thoughts around why you don't need Litecoin as the shitcoin silver to, you know, Bitcoin's gold because ultimately it was a question of divisibility. And so that's, you know, if you're reading the Bitcoin standard, that's, that's where that's kind of one of the rejoinders or rebuttals to that argument came from. But essentially to your broader point around having shitcoined in the past and so on. Uh, yeah, I think for me, the shitcoins back at the time that I came in were different. And so I kind of had a stronger view about, no, Bitcoin is, you know, the one, right? Now, I wasn't necessarily as formed and strong in my view back in 2013 w- compared to now, given all the kind of research oh, yeah. and work and writing. But I essentially thought, oh, look, it's, it's, it's an asymmetric bet, you know? Why, don't, why wouldn't you just put in a small percent and just see what happens with it? And so essentially that was part of how I kind of got into Bitcoin and interested in it. And in terms of that broader theme that you're touching on there around how some people start with Bitcoin, then they branch off into shitcoins, and then they sort of learn more and realize and then come back to becoming Bitcoin only. That's kind of one pathway. The other pathway is the, you know, the people who just got sold XRP and other shitcoins like that because they had no idea, right? So then they just saw people talking about it and it's got it's such a low unit bias price so they can buy you know 50 xrp coins but they can't buy 50 bitcoins so oh okay go and buy 50 xrp coins and then obviously (laughs) you know it just doesn't actually work out because you know it's all just some stupid gamble it's uh, it's hilarious right like what you'll see yeah like you'll see the x the xrp army on twitter and it's like all these like sock puppet accounts and (laughs) All these people who are just like, <laughs> there's something special, man. There's something special. It's brutal. But, yeah. Especially yeah. if you so get look, a few of them think, after you. It, it happened to me already a few times. Oh, man. Oh, right. Yeah. I've, I've somewhat, I've, I've, for whatever reason, I guess I haven't gone as hard against like specifically attacking XRP. So I guess I haven't had that. Whereas when I, I'm just critiquing shitcoins in general uh, from a monetary point of view, right? And I think that's also been a big part of the confusion in this industry over the last few years is a lot of people have essentially done this whole cargo cult thing or they've been playing on people's greed and playing on their desire for obviously monetary gain, uh, but they're trying to liken themselves to Bitcoin or say, oh, my coin's like Bitcoin, but only better, right? And so that's a big angle that has been thrown out there. I think the other thing as well, it's, it's funny because even back in 2013, I was well known amongst my real life friends as being the Bitcoin guy. I was telling everyone to buy Bitcoin and right. But I wasn't able to get to everyone, obviously, because there's sometimes there's only certain people who you can actually resonate with or just someone has to sort of hear it from the right point of view, maybe from the right person, from someone they're close to. And then they can sort of get into it. The funny thing I found over the years was sometimes there would be people who knew me back then in 2013 and they knew I was all about telling people about Bitcoin even back then. And then they would later come to me during the pump of 2017 saying, oh, yeah, look, man, I bought XRP. Or or they, they might not necessarily come to me, but I might sort of later hear about it or they might sheepishly mention it to me. And then I'd be sort of like, man, why? what are you doing with XRP and all these other coins? why didn't you just buy Bitcoin like I told you back in 2013? And 
well, I guess for people, psychologically, it's difficult. because, And this is something we all have to deal with because we all feel like we're late, right? Yes. I came in 2013 and I felt like I was late. There are other people who came See? before me in 2012 and 2011 who, th- who themselves felt late. They were all we late. We are still early. <laughs> we are all still early. That's the but, crazy thing about all of this. But nobody believes it. That's the problem. It's like, and, and to your point, I mean, I I came in be I, I came in in like early 2017, like before the the B trash fork, and I, I I was late. You know, like I remember when Bitcoin was like 475 bucks, and I was late. You know, I I still feel like that was late. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, man. And I think part of it is that it's the human psychology thing as well. So you might first learn about it and then see it price pump a little bit. And that's when you'll try to buy some. And then you might buy a small amount and then it might dump because you bought it the wrong. Because because of our psychology and our nature, the way it sort of rippled out across mainstream news, it happened to be probably one of the worst times to actually be buying some from a monetary point of view. However, some percentage of those people, especially those of us who are more of an Austrian bent, were open to learning more about Bitcoin. So it's kind of like comfort of the gains, stay for the sound money aspect. So I think that is going to be a factor for the next few cycles. We're going to see people come in and paradoxically, or uh, what we might think of as ironically, they are going to buy at the wrong time. They're going to buy at the 19,000 or 20,000 peak and then get wrecked while in the crash. And only some of those people will have the mental fortitude to make it through that and the intellectual curiosity to go and learn further about what they bought into and whether whether there actually is a long-term future for it, which obviously you and I believe, but they have not been convinced of that yet. So I, I forget who said this, um, but essentially like we, we end up with this, you know, this edge effect where, you know, those, those people who get wrecked, like even even people like me, right? Because as Bitcoin got to 20K, you know, I, I was like, I started to sell off, like, you know, I was doing more research and, you know, especially when you're, you're doing shit coins, it's, it's all very bad things. Like, you know, Bitcoin is holding its own and staying up and all these other coins are just fluctuating and there's really no rhyme or reason and they're all owned by, you know, some corporation and, you know, they have no use case and you know the whole story. But like, essentially, you know, the, you know, as you're doing research and and you start to decide, okay, you know, what's really different? Like, what is really better? And as you're doing this research, you know, um, like I I started to, I started to sell off and, and go more into Bitcoin and it, um, like, how could I explain it? Uh, you, you just, you know, you, you start to realize, you know, what's, what was the point of this to begin with, you know? And the whole point of it was, was I wanted to, I wanted to find something that retained its value or that also not only retained its value, but that would possibly increase in value as well. You know, like that, because if you think about it, our cost of living actually goes up. Now, I don't know if that's just because we're all Keynesians, but you know, it, it just seems that our lives get more expensive and it seems that Bitcoin is able to, you know, is able to hold its own. And when you look at all these other projects and you realize that, you know, they're absolute garbage, um, you know, you, you start to really, at least for me anyways, I started to really focus on Bitcoin. And that's actually around the time that I found you. So <laughs> I just started well, listening to yeah, your podcast. I think, 
Well, I think that's the thing. Like maybe more recently now, I've started to have a little bit more of a no, like slightly bigger following. I'm still pretty small in the grand scheme of things, but I don't especially think so. in the early days. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, especially in the early days, it was really it was only hard. Like the only people who knew about me were hardcore Bitcoiners, and to some extent, that was like my initial kind of listeners. They they were like the hardcore Bitcoiners who were not happy about the coverage being received elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I I'm totally not surprised because that that also happens as you're learning. You know, as as you're learning about Bitcoin, you're looking for more signal and less noise, and that's how you end up finding, you know, podcasts like yours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. It's pretty amazing. Um, so let me ask you this: Are you um, are are you into? Uh, are do you? I mean, do you buy stocks? Do you do any of that? Do you you know? Do you believe in like you know dividend reinvestments and stuff like that? Like, I mean, obviously it's all fiat, yeah, so- you know. But like, I, I just I kind of want to get a feel because personally, yes, I do buy a lot of Bitcoin. Um, but I still, you know, I still have stocks because before Bitcoin, I, you know, all I had was gold. And if you didn't have gold and you were going to mess with fiat, you pretty much have, you know, equities. So, yeah, look, I mean, I, that's the thing. Like, we don't know when the whole house of cards collapses and we don't know exactly how badly it will collapse. And I had a definitely had an interest from a young age in things like personal finance and investing. So definitely from a young age, I was more of a saver, right? I would I would go and work and save a, a high percentage of my money, and I was big on index ETFing, and I still do have index ETFs, um, but I am a believer in the idea of trying to diversify globally um, and keep your your costs low. So ways to do that are typically through some of these like Vanguard ETFs and so on. Um, but yeah, definitely I've read a fair, fair bit of like finance and investing sort of books as well. I mean, some of my favorites are obviously Nassim Taleb, um, also books like A Random Walk Down Walk, Wall, uh, Wall Street. Cool. And yeah, some of those kind of personal finance books, you know, like Ramit Sethi, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And for a little while, I mean, I still every now and again check out like financial independence, retire early forums and things like that. So I, I did enjoy reading some of those as well. Uh, so, I mean, they operate under this idea of, you know, let's say you had a million dollars saved up and, you know, you could operate on 4%. I'm not sure how familiar you are with that. Um, but the idea is that, people try to have a high savings rate from a young age and re- rely on the compounding of, of you know equities and bonds and yes. so typically you would be more skewed towards equities because they tend to have a higher return and you know if you look at books like um, oh, I can't remember the name of the book now I think it was called stocks for the long run and in that book the guy I can't remember the author's name either unfortunately but he speaks about how if you look at the stock return going back for 200 years or more, the long-term real return rate for stocks was something like 6.7% off the top of my head. And so the idea being that you obviously want to not lose against inflation. And you know, so the typical advice there is things like obviously pay, you should try to pay down your debts first unless it's kind of smart debt that you're using for a business or something like that. But, but the general idea is that you would pay down your debt. And, uh, and I, in the U.S. case, I think they would talk about 
uh, upping your 401k match and so on. Over here yeah. in Australia, it's called superannuation, right? So they talk about that and then they talk about having an emergency fund of, say, six months of living expenses. And then money after that, you should be putting into an ETF or into like your bonds portfolio or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but the main uh, lessons that I took from some of that and also from, you know, guys like uh, Jack Bogle or John, the late um, Jack Bogle yeah. and some of his books. And also there's this guy called Meb Faber. So I listened to his podcasts here and there and uh, I've read some of his books and one of his interesting insights is around that you need to keep the fees low essentially because yes. fees will have a massive, massive oh. impact on your portfolio over yeah. the kind of 30 or 40 years as you are, you know, in your working life. So, yeah, so I, th so I was, yeah, I definitely would say I am interested in that idea of personal finance and investing and so on. So I probably, I was already relatively a good saving type person, right? Whereas other people in that Bitcoin are kind of like, because of Bitcoin, they became more of a saver. They became more of a, like, trying to live within their means and make sure that, okay, I'm earning, you know, say X amount, but I'm spending less than that to try and, you know, save, sock, sock, sock some away for a rainy day, save for, you know, whatever you want, like for your retirement or pass on to your children, that sort of thing. So for me, I really like that idea. And I, to me, I guess just for all of us, it's like most of us like this idea of just sitting back and earning money just for nothing, right? And that, to some extent, was my interest in the idea of ETFs and dividend, yeah, like exactly. you said, dividend return and so on, right? So now I, I think some people take it too far or they are imprecise in how they think about things. They think, oh, I should just do it all for dividend reinvestment and just or, or dividend um target stocks that's that specifically pay dividends yes but ultimately if you conceive it more from like a macro point of view that company could either pay out more dividends or they could plow it back into the company to try and increase the overall value of the company and so i think some of those people who try to specifically target dividends dividend paying companies or dividend paying stocks only are sort of leaving themselves I, I mean, I, I I can understand. There's different. I, I do agree. Arguments around it. You you, you need growth. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's around like, would you want capital growth or dividend um, reinvestment? So obviously, like if you're if you were young and you you know if you're young like me and you're still saving and investing and stuff, well, yeah, you just want to leave it in there and just let it accumulate until the time you hit fifty or sixty or whatever you want to retire. And even now, I think it's it's sort of changing now a little bit because now I think people can not necessarily retire in the sense of stopping doing like what some might consider work. It just might be something you find enjoyable or you find rewarding, right? Mm -hmm. So, it, But you might change to doing something more that you find rewarding, even if it pays less because you've already got enough of a nest egg saved up, you know, because from all your yes. prior saving. But, so I think that's kind of another thing as well because the, I think the days of, you know, everyone kind of just working in like a salary job and just sort of not or feeling like, because there are, in fairness, there are some people who do feel like who feel trapped into a certain job because, okay, I've got a mortgage, I've got kids and yep. they, they can't now take a chance. They can't now take certain risks if they wanted to start a business and try things. Um, whereas, you know, my hope is that in a more free market sort of prosperous world, we in you know in in a Bitcoin world, 
we're going to be so so much richer and the structure of businesses will not be what it is right now hopefully people will find more enjoyment or more they'll find it more rewarding or stimulating in whatever career or job or you know business that they are in and well that's my hope anyway cool okay we're gonna we're gonna switch uh you know we're gonna switch the uh the vibe a little and we're gonna talk about uh facebook's uh libra coin you know like i feel like ah. i feel like we're all getting trapped and we're all getting sucked in so i i mean i i figure you know who best to you know to talk about this this horrible piece of garbage which i know has you know has a double-edged sword but i, I feel who better to talk about this with than than you you know so i figure let's let's well. get it out you know so tell me, because I've seen two narratives, right? Like I've seen like the narrative that, oh, you know, it exposes, you know, 2.8 billion people to cryptocurrency. And that's so much better because, you know, those people are going to become Bitcoiners. And like, I, I totally appreciate that. And but I also think that Facebook is Facebook. And, you know, they're they're pretty nefarious to begin with. So <laughs> what's uh, what's your yeah, take on I've this? Mm, I, to be honest, I don't really even, I, I don't even get why people are like, in fairness, I feel like all the Bitcoiners, are, at least looking at Bitcoin Twitter, there's like so much discussion about it, but is it really, I don't know. I just don't see it as a real competitor against Bitcoin. Oh, totally it, agreed. Look, it's, it's ultimately, you know, maybe some people will be, find it, look, I think the maybe this is the simplistic answer but ultimately people will look at orange coin number go up right and they're just gonna you know ultimately want to try and you know change over into bitcoin into or orange coin um <laughs> that's great so look i think you know like that's the thing as well right we have there are different levels of people, right? There are some people who love to read the thousand-page Austrian economics textbooks, you know, and then we've got orange coin number go up, right? And, you know, we've got to play to both ends. We've got to play to everyone. And so, look, ultimately, you can only reach the people who you can sort of resonate more closely with. There's only certain types of people that I my material will resonate with, and I'm okay with that. I think a lot of people... I will get confused about Libra coin as well because, or whatever, Zuckbucks, because they, a lot of them haven't thought deeply enough about what money is, why we hold it, what makes a good money, and they will probably confuse the payment network component of it with the monetary token of it. And there's also still, there's still some reasonable doubt that it will really launch in the way we want because... Even now, I think the U.S., I think they called Facebook in for a hearing. And who knows whether governments will be okay with that. We don't know yet. And the other thing is around how easy will the compliance and AML be for this? Because what's the approach going to be? Are they going to figure out a ways to, you know, because obviously they're going to do their whole deplatforming thing. How are they going to do that? Does that mean they kick you off Facebook? Or does that mean like you're on Facebook, but you don't get access to Zuckbox? You know, it's kind of, yeah, what, what happens with that? Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, these, 
complying with a lot of these financial you know, surveillance laws like AML, FATCA, CRS, sanctions, so on, it's not easy. It's actually really, really, really hard because you've got to spend a lot on, you know, companies will have to spend a lot on their systems. They've got to do all sorts of screening. They've got to run things like message screening. They've got to do all this other stuff. And even now recently, there was that talk about the FATF recommendations coming out that all the countries will basically need to start adhering to, meaning that exchanges will have to obey this so-called travel rule where they will have to pass back information on who they're sending to and so on. It just makes it very, very difficult. And ultimately, it will probably drive more and more people going into what we would like, which is the permissionless, you know, censorship free version of Bitcoin. Okay, so I, I don't know how much you read. I, I barely read. I, I have to be honest, you know, like I, I, I didn't read. I didn't waste my time to read their white paper. Um, I, I, I did the uh, TLDR and uh, just went and checked out, uh, I think it's Stephen Pauly or Stephen Pauly's. Uh, he has like a, he has a nice long thread. And uh, essentially they, they talk about going from, I, and I don't know how this is even possible, but they're going to start off as permissioned and it's going to become permissionless. So, so <laughs> I'm not is, really sure how you yeah, do that really, you know, but like, well, that, and, and they, and they keep talking think, about using a database. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look for me, I didn't even really spend too much time looking at it. I had a quick look through it, um, but I just didn't really see much value in kind of going through it. Uh, from a technological point of view and from a can they start centralized and go more decentralized, yeah, I would obviously be a little skeptical that they can achieve such a thing. J just like how Marty Bent, I'm sure, you know, has that thread about how Ethereum is supposedly transitioning to proof of stake and so on and that every time it keeps getting pushed back. So I think this is going to be, Zuckbox will be a similar sort of thing. But it is interesting the way they've tried to sort of place some arm's length distance a little bit and say, oh, there's this foundation in Switzerland and we don't, we, you know, Facebook aren't directly controlling it and blah, 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 um, whatever, right? And I guess playing devil's advocate though, Bitcoin did start out somewhat more centralized in a sense, right? Because it was back then it was Satoshi and Hal, but it very quickly did decentralize over time and it was set up oh. in a way that it could go that way. Whereas Zuckbox is not going to decentralize over time. And the other component is who is going to, I call this the die on a hill factor. Who's going to go die on a hill for Zuckbox, right? Who's going to go put their, you know, effort into helping spread the good word. Whereas <laughs> for Bitcoin, there's a lot of us who are doing this, right? Like yes. for many of us, we just do it in our spare time um, for because you know, we believe in the mission of it because we believe that the world needs better money and Bitcoin is better money. Who's going to be out there doing that for Zuckbucks, right? So yeah, they all have marketing. Yeah, they've got a lot of, you know, daily active users and monthly active users of Facebook and WhatsApp and Instagram, fine. But ultimately, this is about monetary competition. This is about which is going to be the best money, That's which right. is going to converge, right? Where's the convergence going to be towards? And if Zuckbox is really just a basket of other monies, it's not going to be the most saleable one. So this comes back to even Austrian economics and understanding why, how money arises as being the most marketable or most saleable commodity. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, and of course, I mean, it, you know, it's uh, what is it again? It's, it's being backed. Um, 
by you know several different currencies, which of course are you know all issued and printed ad nauseum. So I, I mean it's it's backed by something completely inflationary, and it's meant to be pegged to a currency that's ever dropping. So I, I mean I, I just don't you know to your point I you know for the people that are seeking better money. I, I don't understand, and to your also to your point, I, I don't see it as competition, uh, in in any way, shape, or form. But I, I do think it's important, you know, of course, that we talk about it, because you got to get some good information out there. Because I'm sure that they're gonna start making a whole lot of their own. Yeah, look, I think people Bitcoin is good about that, though, right? There's that guy, sixty one or two Bitcoin only. He wrote oh, a site called Corporate Cash. Right, and so he's already trying to get out there on the um, on the front foot against these sorts of things. It should be considered as like a private version of the SDR. So the SDR is a special drawing right from the IMF, which is kind of like a government attempt to make this sort of uh, coin basket sort of thing. Um, but yeah, that's that's what this Libra coin or whatever Zuckbox thing is. Ultimately, we will see whether people might take it up in the short term right it, that that's totally feasible right people might well take it up in the short to medium term but mm. our view is that bitcoin wins in the long run and that we we will perceive that through it to put it to put it simplistically it'll be orange coin number go up right and that nice. will be like that will be <laughs> um the way that normies come in whereas the more um kind of people who are interested about the philosophy and the economics of it will come in through, you know, things like podcasts and articles and books. I, I totally agree. Um, I love that orange coin. That's great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I started to recently see that, but like now I totally get it. Um, okay. So I, I also want to ask you, um, because of course I, I, you know, I'm not the only one that thinks your podcast gets listened to by many, many people. Um, you you must get I, I feel like you must get approached by by shitcoin projects. So I gotta ask you, like, you know, for advertisement and stuff like that. Like how do you I mean, I personally I don't get approached, which doesn't bother me, but I you know, I, I know what my stance would be and I and I would just like to know, like, how do you how do you handle that? You know, like and, and are they are they pushy and like do they actually think you're gonna go and shill their you know their project? <laughs> <laughs> Look, honestly, I I think yeah sometimes they do come to me right but obviously i knock them back um <laughs> depending on how kind of polite they have been to me i'll be polite back to them and say oh sorry not interested i'm bitcoin only right that's typically what i'll say if they're really rude i'll just delete or like not even respond and just move on because we've all got busy lives and you know i need to spend my time doing bitcoin things not shitcoin things so <laughs> look essentially for me if it's Bitcoin related, I'll consider it. But if it's not, if it's like shitcoin related, well, you know. Now, I guess the other question here is how strict would you be? Like, I think it's not really reasonable to expect that every company is Bitcoin only, right? True. I mean, obviously, from our point of view, we would like that. I would love that. But if you're trying to like actually get advertising, well, that's not necessarily going to be feasible. Um, but yeah, definitely I've had a few um, who come to me about random things and I just sort of think, do you guys even know who I like? Yeah. Like again, not 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 in the sense of like, oh, I'm I'm a big name and people should know me, but it's sort of like 
if they had listened to even like one episode of the podcast, they would know like I am resolutely anti shitcoin. Why would you waste your time trying to pitch me on presenting your shitcoin? Right. So a common pitch is like some marketing director of a company will come to you being like, Hey man, do you want my CEO of my company to come on your podcast? We would love to have him on your podcast kind of thing. And I'm like, no, like I don't want any CEOs of shitcoins on my podcast. That's not what I'm about. Right. So look, if it's Bitcoin related, I'm interested, right? I might talk about it. I might have you on the podcast. I might do advertising on it. I'm okay with that. But basically if it's, if you want me to advertise a shitcoin, the answer is no. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay. So do you have any, uh, I guess, you know, just, um, do you have any final thoughts or, you know, anything that you want to share with the, uh, the listeners? Look, I think the main thing is you've just got to spend some time doing education, like, like teaching yourself about Bitcoin. And I think that's really, for me, that's a big focus on my podcast. I try to make it about learning more about economics and technology of Bitcoin. So I think that really is the best way to, um, it, you know, build your knowledge and build your value. And also once you've sort of learned enough, then you've got to pay it forward. Right. So it might be a good idea to try and think about doing meetup groups in person where you help teach people or, or you can write guides or do video how to guides and just generally make sure that your friends and family know that you're available to help them on how to run a full node or maybe in the future, or even now you can like run a full node and they can pair their mobile phone back to your full node instead of um, using like say public Electrum servers, for example. Um, and so that's better from a privacy point of view. It's better from a network point of view, you know, because not everyone is going to be tech savvy. And over time, I anticipate obviously these things will become easier and easier, right? Like they might just come out with like a router and it's already got a Bitcoin and a lightning full node in there for you. And you don't have to do all the manual setting up and stuff. But at least now in this time period, it's a good idea for you know for you to be the one who runs the node for your family. So yeah, I would just say, think about that. Think about ways that you can, you know, ad be an advocate for Bitcoin without being too pushy about it as well, right? Like I think when when you come in the first time, you might be a little overzealous, let's say, <laughs> right? Um, I'm here to fix it. So don't be exactly right. It's <laughs> like it's more like. You know, you put out this material and you just make sure people, you know, share some of the, you know, Bitcoin material here and there and just make sure people know you're available to help them. Um, but without being too pushy, because it's kind of like you need them to come to you. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I, I totally know what you mean. And it's so difficult because you, you want to cram like every piece of knowledge that you know into this one sentence. And the only word that you can come up with is, you know, you, you pretty much only come up with just buy Bitcoin. You know, like that's, that's the final thing. <laughs> like I can't tell it all to you. Just, just buy it. Um, okay, so I got to ask you quick also because uh, you, you mentioned Lightning. Um, I, do you run a node? And if so, what do you run? Yeah, so I got a noddle at the moment, right? So I'm oh, running um, yeah. Bitcoin and LND on there and I, and I use Zap and I use Jewel connected through to my noddle. Um, and what else? On my phone, I've got a bunch of different apps, right? So I've got like Samurai Wallet. I've got, you know, um, Eclair, which is the async version or async uh, software or uh, Lightning software. I just actually just yesterday, I downloaded the Lightning app from Lightning. So um, 
I'm trying to put some money on there, but obviously there's a little bit of congestion and I was trying to, um, you know, keep the fees low. So I sent it at like 10 sat to buy it. So I'm like, I'm, I'm patient though. I've got low time preference. I'm willing to wait <laughs> for my Bitcoin to hit my, my lightning mobile wallet. Yep. And um, I'm keen to just kind of give that a go in terms of, um, uh, you yeah, know, trying to see what the user interface of it is and the experience. So yeah, it's definitely exciting times. So, so tell me, what do you, because uh, I, I have a Casa node. Okay, I run a Casa and I have um, four Raspi Blitzes, two of which are actually with Bitcoin and two that are just used for testing. But I got to ask you, what's, uh, how do you feel the, uh, the user experiences or, you know, the UX of the Noddle? I've never used one. I've never, I've never seen the UI. So I'm, I'm totally like, I find the Casa note is very easy to use and very intuitive and simple. So if you could share anything about the Noddle. Yeah, look, so, I mean, Noddle aren't even paying me for this. I actually shill their stuff for free. <laughs> I actually really enjoy the Noddle product. I mean, but that said, I don't want to say like a bad word about, you know, I think we want to see uh, an ecosystem of many healthy choices, right? Like I want to see like Casa nodes become a thing, Pierre Richard's nodes, oh, um, yeah. people using that. Um, not all and so on and uh, especially now this samurai version if i hadn't bought one i would probably wait for the samurai version and get that because i think that'll be really cool uh, but in terms of using the not all my experience with it is really good i mean if your listeners haven't they can check out my interview with the not all team as well um i found it really easy to get the not all set it up now that said there were some times where i would have to go and do command line things mm -hmm. uh, but i would go in the telegram chat group and get support there and keto miner michael from the noddle team he's really good he knows and he sort of knew pretty much everything that went wrong like little things not necessarily wrong but like little things that you have to sort of configure that help you and so yes yeah, so i would say now i've used the caster node as well i would say the caster node is probably a little bit more noob friendly in some ways but it's also because it's a little bit more low powered it doesn't it's not as smooth operating and the functionality is not the same as the noddle because noddle obviously you pay a bit more and it's a bit more of a higher powered device it's yeah. using a rock 64 board so yeah look my experience with the noddle has been really good so far so i really enjoy it i you know i wholeheartedly recommend it and i'm not even getting paid to recommend it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i'm actually going to be building a, uh, a a bit of a better node with the uh, with the odroid so oh nice yeah not as powerful as the rock 64 but still a step up from the raspy blitz and the and the casa um so if anybody wants to, I mean, obviously you, you have your podcast, the Stefan Levera podcast, but uh, besides that, how, how do people, if they want to reach you, how do they, uh, how do they get in touch with you? What's the best way? Yeah. So look, uh, Twitter, my handle is at Stefan Levera. My DMs are open there. Um, and yeah, obviously they can find my website and podcast, StefanLevera.com. And that's where they can subscribe and there's a contact page there as well. So that's how people can find me. Obviously I have a very you know, Bitcoin and Austrian economics focus. So there you go. Cool. So, um, look, I, I thank you so much for your time and, uh, I really appreciate, you know, everything that, uh, that, that you've been explaining. It's, it's really incredible to have you. And, uh, I, I hope that, uh, I hope that I can get you on again in the future. Oh, sure. No worries. Um, yeah, look, thanks very much for hosting me, Koenikaris. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, interview discussion with Stefan Levera. I, I know I enjoyed having it. 
it's I, I consider it such a privilege to be able to to interview you know the people that um, that actually you know for me anyways you know helped me I believe tumble down the rabbit hole in the in the correct direction because I, I can't stress it enough when you're when you're wandering through the you know like the minefield that is cryptocurrency um, there's there's so much affinity scamming going on so many you know look at my you know look at my Bitcoin buy my shitcoin narrative and you just have to be so careful and it's it's so easy and if you don't if you're not really talking with the right people and getting correct information you know you you end up unfortunately falling for these things and you know i i just stefan lavera is just absolute signal and no noise and i am so i consider myself so lucky that uh, i got to you know sit down and actually talk with him and ask him about his story you know and get to hear his side so anyways um if uh, obviously I'm going to post in the show notes uh, his uh, Twitter contact information, and he has a, uh, I believe, a website as well. So uh, I am going to post the uh, the link to that. And as always, if you want to reach out to me on Twitter or Telegram, I'm at Coin Icarus. If you want to shoot me an email, I'm Fun with Crypto at ProtonMail.com. Thank you all for listening. Catch you all next time.